0: Hello everybody, welcome back to Bluegrass Roots, a podcast. I'm not sure exactly why I have. I'm gonna to read today a essay that I wrote about three weeks ago called Just Print the Money. And at the end of the essay, spoiler alert, I sort of come down on this idea that We ought to pay every American's rent for the next year while we sort things out with this um, virus that we're facing right now. So um, it's a good idea and one that I didn't know that I um, had or that I felt strongly about until I wrote the essay. As is usual, you only know what you think about something um, once you write about it and find yourself saying surprising things or at least things that surprise, I say things, uh, that surprise me when I write. Um, and that's always a joy when you sort of say, oh, I didn't know I felt that way about a certain thing. That's what happened in this essay. And, um, it's been suggested to me by, uh, a few friends, that that's actually the point of the essay, is the rental assistance piece. So I just wanted to flag that for folks. Um, and, and as I say in the essay, that that feeling is sort of informed by my experience in the foreclosure crisis and all of the hoops that we made homeowners jump through uh, 10 years ago to get the help that they desperately needed. Uh, it doesn't appear that we're doing that for um, homeowners right now. We've created systems that work more elegantly. Uh, And let me just say, if you're a homeowner affected by the uh, coronavirus or the massive job layoffs and economic crisis that goes along with social distancing, there are programs out there that should allow you to get a forbearance um, on those mortgage payments for six months and maybe even up to a year. And that's not for everybody, but it is for a lot of people. So it's something you should log on to your mortgage servicer's website and find out more about. But, you know, paying everyone's rent for the next year is actually an elegant and right-sized way to address some of the immediate and medium-term problems that people are going to face as we sort of white-knuckle our way to a, a vaccine. and. You know, paying everyone's rent is fair. We've sub- subsidized homeowners for years with the mortgage tax deduction, um, or the mortgage interest tax deduction, and that kind of protection is safe as well. We don't need people going out making bad decisions about um, going to work or or something like that just because they have to pay rent. and And I w- I say it's a necessary response because we know that tons of people cannot pay their rent right now. So and it's going to be a, a number of months before we get a vaccine. Number of months, probably years before we get a vaccine. And so we really need to be thinking on those kinds of terms about what solutions we're going to bring uh to people's lives and what relief would make sense, okay? So this is an uh essay that I wrote called just print the money i'll put a link to this in the show notes uh, published on medium on april twenty third uh, Finally before I start reading i 'll say um, just this week the House of Representatives passed what's called the Heroes Act, and in it includes um, money to pay uh, uh, no excuse me it, it it includes an eviction moratorium uh, for a year for, um, renters in America. So, uh, that's a great step forward. And, um, and I hope certainly that the Senate takes that measure up with the urgency that the moment requires. So, um, with that, I'll just say, if you like this podcast and, and want more of it, please leave a review on iTunes and subscribe and tell your friends and all of that stuff. Um, Yeah, it won't be just me reading essays uh, that I wrote all the time, uh, but this one is timely and I'm proud of it. So I thought I would share it with you all since, you know, if you're like me, you don't actually read anymore. You just listen to podcasts. And so uh, if that's you, I wanted uh, to not make you read my words, but you can instead listen to um, my dumb voice instead. So just print the money. Americans need it. Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell have it. Section 1. Things are not going back to normal anytime soon. In the middle of the beginning of America's long grapple with COVID-19, I can now recognize that I've made one of the most common thinking errors we humans make, the mistake of anchoring one's expectations early to a particular outcome. Salespeople know well the power of anchor and adjust negotiation. The idea is that if you can set an anchor at a certain point early in the process, people tend to negotiate a little bit around that position, a little more, a little less, but no dramatic departures from that initial anchor. Let me say, I I feel the weight of that anchor every day. Here, in the still early days of this crisis, part of the cognitive dissonance Americans are feeling is the growing, undeniable rift between the idea our elected officials originally anchored us to. This need for social distancing is something that might need to happen for a few weeks, a month, and the emerging understanding, you know, these yahoos rushing to open up our communities too soon notwithstanding, this emerging understanding of this pandemic that, wow, we are just getting started. The social distancing and work from home with two small kids and a wife who is a full-time professor and a doctoral student is bad enough. But as we face the prospect of dragging ourselves across weeks and months we didn't expect to have to drag ourselves across, we also have this goddamn anchor to drag too. Within a few days after my kids' daycare announced it was closing until the end of April, it became obvious that the month-long cancellation was a fantasy. That no way were we going to be able to safely send our kids to daycare at the end of April. Sure enough, a cancellation through at least the end of May became official last week. Let me pause a second and just say in the essay uh, that you can find a link to in the show notes, I do have a picture of my two small children making chalk art um, in this section where I'm, you know, crying bitter tears over how hard my life is um, here in suburban Louisville with a supportive wife and beautiful baby baby boys. Um, but, um, you know, I have this picture and and it's captioned, To be clear, it is not all bad at my house. There are children in PJs doing chalk drawings, the long afternoon light casting tall shadows for boys small only for now. So, I just want that out there that as hard as this is, quote-unquote hard, there's obviously a lot of um, sweetness in my life as well. And I think that sort of tension that... um, I feel, I think a lot of parents are probably feeling that same thing right now. Okay, back to the essay. As the federal government continues to botch the response to the spread of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, it has become clear to anyone paying attention that we're not going back to normal anytime soon. I have a footnote here that says, If you do nothing else, please read Our Pandemic Summer And a new statistic reveals why America's COVID-19 numbers are flat in the Atlantic. The Atlantic has been absolutely great in providing understandable coverage of what's happening and what's next for people who are not scientists, but who, you know, respect science. The only way we get back to normal is a vaccine. And... I have another footnote here. I only have four footnotes in this whole thing, so bear with me, but footnote two to two is in a separate essay, I will suggest never going back quote unquote to normal quote unquote because for many people, normal was quite shitty. The only way we get back to normal is a vaccine that's twelve. To 18 months away if everything goes right, and we get very lucky. Until then, the only way to contain the deaths from and the depth of the COVID-19 crisis is one, social distancing, two, massive availability of testing, and three, extensive contact tracing. And even with the last two, it's really a you-can't-stop-it-you-can-only-hope-to-contain-it kind of situation. Footnote 3. Ezra Klein recently looked at four alternatives for how to open things back up. Each of these approaches, from the experts, assumed widespread availability of testing and contact tracing. By my estimate, he didn't consider a fifth option that leaders in government and business radically readjust Americans' expectation of just how much blood and carnage we should tolerate in the name of the free market. By my estimate, this is the most likely option America will choose only because we're already in the habit of accepting a lot of collateral damage, just as long as it's not our collateral. And for white people, for middle class people, it often isn't. Meanwhile, the other options proposed seem, I don't know, like a lot of work. They might require us to stretch our concept of self and other and admit that Martin Luther King Jr. may have been on to something when he wrote, All men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Now, Here is a truth from Martin Luther King Jr. that is so fundamental and undeniable, right? If this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that we are inextricably intertwined with one another biologically, economically, socially, politically. But it's a truth at the same time that seems vaguely foreign, radical, unsettling. That is a truly American tragedy. We'd often rather be dead than uncomfortable. Back to the main essay. We can watch, almost as time travelers, nations hit earlier with the virus begin to open back up, begin to relax. We can see those nations backsliding, they people dying in escalating numbers again from a virus against which we are, for now, defenseless against. And we can know, as observers of a history unfolding before our very eyes, what our future holds for us if we make the same mistakes. But then, we have never been a people in the thrall of history. We're exceptional. So here we are, exceptional. And a month into what we thought, naively, was going to be a month-long detour in our lives. For some people, it was going to be a vacation, a homeschool for others, a crisis, a slog, a tragedy for some, a comedy for others. Everyone's experience was going to be wildly, insanely different. Some people would fill it with video games and not writing the novel they thought they had in them. Others would die or mourn lost loved ones. Others still would bake bread and try to keep their children from spending an hour. Did I say an hour? I meant two hours. Four hours. Try to keep their children from spending all day in front of the TV. But it was going to be a month. Here we are, one month in, definitely not going back to normal. It's time to pick up the anchor, tie it to our longest rope, tamp down the gunpowder in our largest cannon, and blast the mofo into the future, 12 months, 18 months out, at least, if everything goes right. Section 2. Everything is not going to go right. Everything has not gone right to date. In fact, things have gone rather poorly. There is no evidence that the Trump administration will suddenly become master administrators and crises managers. I say crises because the necessary response to a public health crisis is, a, is rigorous social distancing, which creates, you may have heard, a coinciding economic crisis as well. Indeed, There is reason to believe that the recent plateau in the number of new coronavirus cases is not the result of actually containing the spread of the virus, but instead that plateau is caused by maxing out our country's capacity to test for the virus. This would suggest that instead of everything going right, we don't really know right now just how wrong things are going. The federal government sputters along. As legislators pass economic relief measures that are obviously insufficient before the ink dries on the president's signature, I have an odd sense of deja vu. I grew up as an attorney in the foreclosure crisis a decade ago. When I was a fresh, doe-eyed legal aid attorney defending foreclosures in Louisville, Kentucky, I saw the federal government again and again fail to do what was necessary to protect Americans from unnecessary foreclosures, unnecessary destruction. I saw the programs that were a series of ever-smaller hoops through which homeowners must jump to save themselves, save their families, their homes. In fact, I unwittingly designed a few of those programs locally, just programs of hoop after hoop after hoop. I saw the aid that was Too late. Too little. I saw the hand-wringing over the moral hazard of bailing out quote-unquote irresponsible borrowers. We are a matter of weeks away from right-wingers beginning to victim-blame the patriotic Americans who closed their businesses, stayed home from work, became unemployed, cared for their children when daycares closed, cared for their children when schools closed, educated their children when their schools closed, got sick, stocking groceries, or driving a bus. We are weeks away from right-wingers beginning to victim blame those Americans. We are already hearing that the unemployment benefits are too generous. We are giving millions of Americans who lost their goddamn jobs because every correct-thinking governor in America shut down the economy in the face of a global pandemic, we're giving those Americans too much money. We are giving people so much money that they might not want to return to work during a global pandemic. In Kentucky, one in four workers have lost their job. One in four. Let me take a side note here for footnote four, but before I do, let me also say that that number three weeks after I wrote this essay, on May 17th now, um, is now one in three Kentucky workers. Footnote 4 is Never mind the fact that almost no one can actually get unemployment benefits right now because of the unbelievable surge of unemployment claims and states' decisions to let their UI departments and technology atrophy for decades. Back to the essay. In a blink... It will be their fault, this one in three Kentuckians who have lost their job. It will be their fault they haven't found a job. Their fault they can't open the restaurant back up again. Their fault they have a condition that makes them especially vulnerable to the coronavirus. Their fault they haven't found another job. Look, the economy is open. Get off your lazy asses, everyone. The pandemic may not be over, but your break sure is. Meanwhile, the $350 billion in aid to quote-unquote small businesses vanished in a day. The next round will vanish just as quickly. The $1,200 stimulus payments were a joke even before Donald Trump delayed shipping them out until he could put his joke signature on his joke checks. Now, Congress is debating the next round of economic aid. It's not going to be enough, not even close. Incredibly... The party with the most to lose in the upcoming election, the presidency, if things go further south in the coming months, is the party that is being stingy. You know what they say, hand gonna hand-ring. This stinginess is doubly incredible because it's not as though the party's leader in Congress actually believes in anything other than power. Mitch McConnell told Donald Trump as recently as two years ago, when advising him on the soaring federal deficits that no politician had ever lost office for spending more money. And yet, just this week, McConnell said that states and cities should file bankruptcy rather than expect assistance from the federal government during a global pandemic. Mitch McConnell cravenly suggests that places like Louisville and Lexington and his home state, Kentucky, declare bankruptcy when Kentuckians, no thanks to him, have responded timely, effectively, neighborly to these crises. Meanwhile, the federal government's response to COVID-19 has made Bush's response to Hurricane Katrina look competent by comparison. Did I suggest above that we were weeks away from victim-blaming? I was wrong. Mitch McConnell is victim-blaming when he suggests states and towns should file bankruptcy in the face of a global pandemic. It's preposterous. The deaths from and depth of these crises are very much the federal government's fault. Unfortunately for all of us, it's the responsibility of the federal government to administer and remediate both the global pandemic and the economic crisis. I'll leave the public health crises to the public health experts. But for the economic crisis, here's what we do. Just print the money. Just print the money. Give it to the states and local governments. Give it to the small businesses. Give it to every American. Again, month after month. Just print the money. Print it. Until the pandemic is over, until everyone gets, whether they want it or not, the vaccination that science will make possible. Print it until Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump win their campaigns to get reelected in November. Section 3. Here's my actual proposal Pay everyone's rent. Just print the money and pay everyone's rent. What about the people who don't need it? I hear you ask above the din of your hand wringing. Pay everyone's rent. Take it from someone who helped people apply for loan modifications from their mortgage servicers during the foreclosure crisis. We don't have time to have people who rent their homes, send in applications and prove their need, and have some government bureaucracy. Love you, government bureaucrats. Review and ask questions and ultimately approve or deny someone based on need. Print the money. Renters have enough shit going on right now. The landlords can apply for this money. The federal government is printing money. Come get yours, landlords. Paying everyone's rent is so elegant. It's direct assistance to people in the form of rental assistance. The people who have the most incentive to get the assistance, the landlords, are responsible for getting the assistance. They can jump through any hoops the federal government wants to erect between them and the money. Meanwhile, in exchange for ready availability of freshly printed money for landlords, the federal government prohibits evictions for the next year. That's it. Nobody who doesn't want to move during a global pandemic has to move. Plus, just paying everyone's rent is fair. Homeowners have been getting federal assistance in the form of the mortgage interest deduction for decades. Each year, the mortgage interest tax deduction costs America 30 to $60 billion. Renters have been carrying homeowners for decades. Time for America to pay renters back. Print the money. Paying everyone's rent is safe. People can afford not to go to work when they're sick or if they're high risk, without fear of eviction. Meanwhile, movers, law enforcement, court personnel, landlords, and renters aren't all jostling around in offices, courts, front lawns, moving trucks, fighting, fighting eviction, evicting, being evicted. But what about the people who don't need it, you whisper hand-wringingly. Hey, I whisper back, everybody needs it. We know that 40% of Americans don't have $400 to pay for an emergency expense. Would it be so bad if the woman who by some miracle kept her job and worked remotely while trying to make sure her teenager did his non-traditional instruction each day at the kitchen table ended up at the end of all this bullshit with $6,000 in a savings account? Would that be so bad? Or with a car she didn't have a payment on, or the ability to finally, finally pay off the medical bill that the collection company won't stop calling her about. Would that be so goddamn awful? Start printing the money. Nobody's getting evicted. Everybody's getting paid. We're all going to chill for a bit while we get this vaccine sorted. It's going to take 12 to 18 months if everything goes right and we get lucky. Everything's not going to go right, but that's okay. We're just printing money and chilling. Everybody should be on board with this plan. Nobody ever lost an election for spending money. Trump and McConnell have elections to win, and America has a lot to lose if we don't move quickly to offer expansive and expensive help to our neighbors and friends. These impotent stimulus packages Congress has passed are children bringing sandcastle toys to fight a river that has overflowed its bank and is rising fast. Just print the money. Pay the rent. It's not too late. After all, we're only in the middle of the beginning of our national struggle against COVID-19.